0: Going. Get it going. Uh, wait, stay standing. Stay standing. I need a little selfie here.
1: <laughs>
0: Alright, hold, can you stay standing for just one minute? So, so some of you I know feel real uncomfortable right now because you like, oh, it's a football game, and this is you know a house of God. Uh, Is there any biblical precedence for what we're doing right now? Yes. Now, here here it is. Listen. How many Psalms are about how awesome Jerusalem is as the city of God, right? And we know God loves Seattle because he waters it so lovingly. It must be in his backyard. (laughs) Second, how many Bible verses are about how awesome the armies of Israel is? Well, friends, we don't have an army, but we do have a legion, okay? Did I just compare us to ancient Israel? Please don't send me that email, okay? What I would want you to understand is I don't think at all it is wrong for us to to celebrate Seattle, to celebrate the Seahawks. I think it's wonderful. I think it's good. Uh, First off, it's the team Jesus is cheering for today. So I'm I'm absolutely certain of that. But I do want you to understand, and we just have to do this right now, that the Bible talks about entering in the courts of, of the Lord with a festal shout. And, and we don't want to, to cheer. We don't want to spend all of our energy cheering something that is temporal uh, for a crown that will fade away, that people will forget. But we do want to save our best praise and our highest shouts for the Lord above who gives us the unfailing love that we just sang about. So let's give it up right now. We love you, Lord. That's right. Woo! Thank you, Jesus. Good stuff. That is the way to start it. Okay, you may have a seat now. Thank you so much. Overlake, I love being with you. I love being on this journey with you. We're in the middle of a series called Tell Me a Story, and it's just been really fun to unpack and and to to see what it is that God has for us as we we take a look at our lives and and see where his redemptive hand has been. I do wanna begin with a quote, and this is from theologian N.T. Wright. He says, When we learn to read the story of Jesus and see it as the story of the love of God doing for us what we could not do for ourselves, that insight produces again and again a sense of astonished gratitude, which is very near the heart of authentic Christian experience. Friends, I have that authentic gratitude. I'm sure many of you have that authentic gratitude today because of the unfailing love of God for he has done for us what we could not do for ourselves. And that is a part of his redemptive story. I mentioned that God is writing this grand redemptive story. The whole arc of history bends toward it. Jesus is the chief protagonist in God's redemptive story. And yet so often, even followers of Jesus miss out on just how big his story is. So let me just tell you, there are some people who think that the whole idea of God's story is well, we weren't sure if there was life after death, but we see in scripture that Jesus raised from the dead, so we believe there is an afterlife now, and then that's the story. Or some people think, well, I wasn't sure if God was real or if Jesus was divine, but but I see in scripture that the resurrection was a reality, so there must be a God, because that doesn't happen every day, and Jesus must be his son. And, And so that's the redemptive story. And then there are others who think, well, we believe in heaven and hell, uh, but we don't know where we're going to end up. But then we see that Jesus, after he was resurrected, he ascended to heaven, and he's at the right hand of the Father. And, and therefore, we believe that, that he'll take all of his people, all those who've received his invitation, up to heaven with him. And, and so that's the redemptive story. And I just want to say this morning, it's not that these stories are wrong. It's just that they're all a part of a bigger story. They're all a part of something that is even bigger and larger and and more grand. And I just wanna say this, that N.T. Wright, the theologians like N.T. Wright and Middleton and McKnight and Mike Howerton all believe that the gospel is about the rescue and the renewal of the entire cosmos. That, that Jesus has come to reconcile all things and all people to himself, that is the big story. And I'm gonna point you to this text, it's in Colossians chapter one, and it says, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. So here we are, God the Father, Jesus the Son, and through him, through Jesus, God reconciled everything to himself. You might wanna circle that phrase. He reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. That's his gift of grace, friends, doing for us what we could not do for ourselves. And and this is the big redemptive story. We talked about this grand story, this huge arc. But his redemptive story involves you in a uniquely you way. In a way that is only possible because it's you and and it it involves exactly who you are and exactly where you are and exactly who you interact with on a day-by-day, week-by-week kind of a scenario and no one else could play the role in God's story that he calls you to play. In fact, I, I saw this tweet this week from Dr. Henry Cloud. He says, be yourself, everyone else is already taken. And up till now, in this series, what we've done is we've taken a look at our story past. We've taken a look at what has happened to us in the whole course of our lives, and we were trying to challenge ourselves to see God's redemptive hand at work in the events and in the moments and in the movements of God in our lives, all the way from the time we were born up until this moment so that we could know our story and mine our story and then be willing to share our story and help listen to other people's story and draw their story out. We've done all this work as it relates to our story past. But today we're going to turn a corner and we're going to take a look at what our story looks like from here on out. We're going to take a look at our story future. Now, I I, I want to read you this quote. It's from a book called Tell Me a Story. Daniel Taylor says, Nothing makes us want to live more than the feeling that we have something important to do. Nothing makes life seem worthless as the feeling that we do not. Seeing our lives as a story, interacting with other stories, gives us a sense of being a part of a sequence of meaningful events that lead to a significant conclusion." In short, one criterion for meaning is that we find a plot in our lives. What is going on in our life? And the challenge is to see our lives from here on out as a story. I did some reading. I did some listening to other teachers and leaders. In fact, Donald Miller is somebody who influenced my thinking this week. And what he argues is that the same principles that writers use to make stories incredible are the same things that we can use to make our lives incredible. By the way, story is not an invention of human uh, kind. Uh, Story is actually an invention of God. God is the one who came up with this idea. And if you doubt this, go ahead and just open your Bible at the very beginning and start to read. And you'll see that what God is doing is telling story after story after story, narrative after narrative after narrative. And he's doing that. Story is a way through which we process the universe. And it's through story that God is showing us these things have value and these things have no value. This is very meaningful and this is not meaningful at all. It's like a compass that he's adjusting in our minds through the concept of story. And so in order for a story to work well, these principles are the same things that that a human life needs to work well. And so if you're filling in the blanks, the first one is this. Every story needs a lead character. Every story needs a lead character. The literary phrase for this is protagonist. And, And there has to be a good protagonist. If you don't have a good protagonist, you don't have a good story. So I want you to think about your favorite stories. They all have a great protagonist, Luke Skywalker, Katniss Everdeen, Russell Wilson, right? And you have to be extremely careful with your protagonist. They have to be somewhat likable because if the protagonist doesn't have any qualities about them that are likable, then the person reading the story is not gonna be compelled by what happens to the protagonist. Oh, I don't even care what happens. I don't care if the protagonist wins. Why? I don't, I don't like the protagonist, right? And so there is one character quality that almost every writer at some point tries to have their lead character filled with. And and this is true in in terms of writers, right? This is authors do this, but it also needs to be true in terms of how you develop your own character, and that is that a good protagonist cannot look down on everyone. And so the scriptures call us to be humble again and again and again. Do not think more highly of yourself than you ought, but place others above yourselves. In fact, that's what the scripture says in Philippians 2. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others. And I have to just tell you this, friends, we have to get low. We have to be humble or else our story won't inspire. And if you keep reading that passage in Philippians 2, you'll see that the call is that we should have the same attitude as the great protagonist had, Jesus Christ, who is the great protagonist in the great redemptive tale, and we seek to be humble as he was humble so that we can attach our small story to his greater redemptive story. So every great story, every great life needs a humble lead character. And then every humble lead character needs a noble ambition, a noble ambition. There, there needs to be a, a drive, a desire, a, a, a want that compels the lead character on. And if the lead character doesn't want anything, then it's ultimate boredom. You know, what if Frodo had never left the Shire? Peter Jackson still would have made a 12-hour movie but we would all be bored to tears, right? The the lead character has to have this noble ambition driving them on. I want to tell you, friends, God wants you to want much, but it matters what you want. It matters, and it needs to be noble. It needs to be godly. It needs to line up according to his will, and And I was thinking, it's the beginning of the year. Many of us, I know I did this, you kind of look ahead at 2015 and you think, what are the goals that I want to set for myself this year? What are the ambitions I want to identify? And I was thinking, when you do that, what you're really doing is you are defining the plot lines in the story of your life. My goals create the story that I'm going to tell. And so I want you to imagine your life, and imagine that they were going to make a movie about it. How interesting is that movie going to be? You know, what if, what if you go to the, the movie theater, there's a huge movie poster, and it's got your face on it, and at the top, it says, this year, Bob wants a Volvo. <laughs> Tagline, will he get it? how interesting is that movie going to be? You pay your money, you go sit down in the theater, two and a half hours later, he gets a Volvo, drives off the lot with it. Are you weeping with joy? That's the best movie ever. He caught the Volvo. It was the red one with the red rims and the heated seats. It's so inspiring. Is that, is that what happens? Right. No, right, because there wasn't a noble ambition. I mean, maybe, I'm not running down Volvos. It's great. If you want to Volvo. it's fine. That's not, that's not that noble ambition that I'm talking about, though, right? There, there's got to be something deeper and richer. There's got to be something more. In fact, the best stories are the ones in which you might lose your life or you might lay down your reputation. You might end up ridiculed or broke, right? but at least you have achieved something of greatness or, or, or you've struggled to attempt greatness with your life. A good question to ask is, if a protagonist dies, what dreams die with her? See, if, if today's your last day, what dreams die with you? Are they worthwhile dreams? Sometimes in writing, and again in life, the best thing to do is, is to look forward at the most climactic scene, at the, at the pinnacle event in, in the character's life, and then the writer begins to sort of reverse engineer the events and the choices so that the, the, the lead character can get from where they are to that pinnacle experience. So let me suggest one for you. It's the one that drives so much of what, what motivates my life, and that is the moment when I enter eternity and I hear the words from Jesus, well done, good and faithful servant. That is a, is a climactic moment. Now, reverse engineer your life and your choices from now till then so that that can be your experience. And there might be a myriad of examples of what a noble ambition might look like. I I screwed up my marriage, I wanna make it right. I I want to win her love back. That's a great story, that's a noble ambition. I I want my kids to love me and to love Jesus. That's a great story, noble ambition. I wanna make a difference, I wanna help people, I wanna give people hope, I wanna bring value to the world, I wanna show people that they are loved. These are all examples of godly, noble ambition. And the size of our ambition is measured only in units of love. You know, Roger, these are stories that just happened last week or so. Roger helps a single mom move. That's, that's noble ambition measured in love. Barry or Julie who meet with an Eastside Academy student once a week for lunch in their roles as mentors, measured in love. Allison and Steve who give every Wednesday night to be small group leaders in our student ministries. It's measured in love. And of course, the Apostle Paul is a great example of both of these. He's he's an incredible lead character with a noble, a godly ambition that drives him. I put this on your outline, 1 Corinthians 9, from the message paraphrase. He writes, Even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people Religious, non-religious, meticulous moralists, loose-living, immoralists, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ, but I entered their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I've become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those I meet into a God-saved life. I did all this because of the message. I didn't just want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. That's a noble ambition, not just that we would talk about the things of God, but that we would actually be in on it, that that we would attach our story underneath the huge redemptive story that God is writing. So we need to be the lead character in our story, and, and we need to be humble. We need to have a noble ambition, one that's godly, one that lines up with his will. And when that happens, there will inevitably be this third element in the story of your life, and that is a conflict. Every great story has a conflict. In fact, it's not conflict that makes a story bad, it's conflict that makes a story great. The only things that really change us are the things that really challenge us, physically, emotionally, relationally, and spiritually. And so first what we do is we dare greatly, we set noble goals that we want to give our lives toward, and the moment that happens, you can bet that we will experience some measure of fear. In fact, if if you never want to experience fear in your life, here's what you do, you just sit on the couch, watch television all day long, eat cheese puffs, have no ambitions, you will have no fear, but it'll be a very boring story that you're writing with your life. See, we say noble ambition, then we go after it, but suddenly we find that, oh, you know what, I'm afraid of failure. I'm afraid of intimacy. I'm afraid of mediocrity, afraid of all kinds of things. But if we are living as children of our loving father, if, if we're trying to attach our story to his great redemptive story, then we step through our fear and we fearlessly move forward. You know, there's a saying that I've heard Christians say from time to time. In fact, I, I, I even think that I've said this a couple of times in my life. And we say, when, when we encounter conflict, well, I guess God was just closing a door, right? Have you ever heard that? How about this verse from the scripture, where the good Lord closes a door, he opens a window. Have you heard that verse? <laughs> it's not a verse in the Bible. It's not in the Bible anywhere. No, uh, I just want you to understand that, that yes, doors will close. If you have a noble ambition that you want to go after, you want to seek to bring the kingdom here, you set this noble ambition that you're going to lay your life down for, there will be conflict. But that doesn't mean that God's closing a door. That, That could mean that God wants you to kick the door down, right? He wants you to push through. He wants you to persevere. He wants you to give everything you've got in order to go after this noble goal. Friends, the difficulties in your story, the hardships that we face, the trials that we encounter, these do not make your story bad. They make your story great. Perseverance, preparation commitment to a cause, these are the qualities that make a protagonist incredible, right? In the face of hopeless conflict, imagine you're down 19 to seven against the Green Bay Packers, five minutes and 13 seconds left, you've thrown your fourth interception, right? It's a hopeless cause, what do you do? Do you say to yourself, I guess God closed the door on that one, right? No, you push through, you kick the door down, right? That's about noble ambition. You know, maybe you just need to realize that your noble ambition is difficult by nature. Even if you have a goal like, you know, I wanna raise godly kids in love. That's gonna be difficult. So what you don't say is, I I wanna raise my kids in love, but today they're acting like jerks, so I guess God just closed the door on that one, you know? (laughs) No, when the door's closed, kick it down, right? The Lord is with you. God wants you to be a humble lead character. He wants you to have a noble ambition. He wants you to persevere through conflict because, friends, the enemy will come against your ambition and will close doors in your face. And I'm not, talking, I'm not talking about flesh and blood enemy. I'm not talking about people wearing Patriots jerseys. I'm talking about, in fact, look what the scripture says in Ephesians 6.12. This is no afternoon athletic contest that we'll walk away from and forget about it in a couple of hours. Now, Super Bowl might be, but what we're talking about today isn't. Okay. No, this is for keeps. A life or death fight to the finish against the devil and all his angels. That's the conflict we're in. And so we keep after it. And when we encounter conflict, we don't give up. And we don't assume that God has closed the door. We assume God is with us. We assume that as we're attaching our story to his greater redemptive story, that he wants great things to happen. So we keep pushing, we keep pressing, and we keep trusting that he is with us. Lead character noble ambition, conflict. And the last thing here that a great story has to have is resolution. It has to come to an ending. It has to resolve in some way or it leaves us empty. Now it does not have to happen exactly the same way that you think it might happen or should happen. The unexpected can be just as powerful as the expected. The unlooked for can be just as wondrous as the long hoped for. But the only sure way to guarantee that your story is good, is that you're willing to lay down your life for something that is worth laying your life down for. You do that, the story works. When you give it everything you've got, when you give it your all for something that is worthy of your all, the story will resolve wonderfully. Well done, good and faithful servant, is the pinnacle that you are heading toward. Now, the problem is that in our culture today, and in fact in many of our lives, the stories just aren't that compelling. And the reason why the stories are not that compelling is that the lives that are being lived are just not as good as they could be. That is why a year ago, a movie came out that was really powerful. It was called The Secret Life of Walter Mitty. And it was so amazing because after a lifetime of safety and security, of living excitement in his mind only, Mitty steps into a greater story of adventure, purpose, and love. And that's what I'm talking about this morning. In fact, if you're filling in the blanks, this is really the only one that you need to remember that I want you to carry with you in the course of this week, and it is that Jesus invites us into a better story. He invites us into a better story. There's an episode in the scriptures where Jesus is walking down the way and he sees a a tax collector, Levi, Matthew given his life to the tax industry. he's probably gotten quite wealthy doing it. If you know anything about how the tax system worked, the Romans were the occupying enemy, and the tax collectors were Jewish. They were working for the enemy. And what they would do is they would overcharge their fellow countrymen so that they could line their own pockets and still give Rome what Rome required. And that was the industry Matthew was involved in. And Jesus came along, and Jesus saw Matthew in the midst of a, of a story, a certain story, and Jesus invited him into a better one. And in Matthew 9, 9, it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man named Matthew sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my example, Jesus said to him. So Matthew got up and followed him. I want you to think about Matthew and the story exchange that happened. How Matthew traded in his old story and he got a new story. What Matthew did was Matthew hitched his little story to the greatest story ever told. He he hitched himself as protagonist in his little story to Jesus as the protagonist in, in the great story. And I want you to understand what happened. Matthew experienced life just on the pinnacle, on the cutting edge. He got to to be with Jesus, the the entire ministry of Jesus. He got a chance to see the miracles. He got a chance to front row the teachings of Jesus. He got a chance to see the crucifixion and then the resurrection. He got a chance to experience the Holy Spirit for the first time with these other disciples. And then the birth of the church. He got a chance to see it all unfold. And then he wrote a few words down. Humble words as, as he was just amazed to be swept into a larger story. And the words that Matthew wrote became the book of Matthew. And who knows how many lives Matthew's life has impacted. See, that's a story exchange. I'm so glad Matthew didn't stay at that text table. Now, the truth is that you and I are being invited into a better story as well. You and I are invited to take our story, our old story, and put it aside, and and to take a new story and attach our lives to Jesus, and and to place ourselves as the protagonist in a little story underneath Jesus, the great protagonist in the great redemptive story, and we get a chance to attach our story to his, and who knows how many lives will be impacted. Who knows how much the kingdom will be brought here? And even as Jesus lives through, his, through the gospels and his ministry, and he begins his messages with the word repent, what I want you to think every time you read that word in the scripture where Jesus says repent, what that is, it's an invitation to a story exchange where we give him our old story and we begin to live a better story with him. And I don't just wanna preach about this, I want you to hear a story, and so I'm gonna invite my friend, Mindy, to come up. Mindy, would you come? She's gonna come and share the story of how she did exactly what Matthew did, traded in an old story for the new story with Jesus. Can you just welcome her today? Hi,
1: everybody. First thing I wanna say is I'm a grateful believer in Jesus. And one of the things that I know for sure is that God never wastes a hurt. No matter how deep that hurt is, he will make something beautiful out of it. My earliest childhood memory is singing Jesus Loves Me while my mom did the dishes, and being so small that I couldn't even see the top of the kitchen counter. I knew all four verses by heart by the time I was two. My mom said she always knew when I was asleep when the music stopped. I was only two and a half when my parents divorced and my dad left leaving an empty hole in my heart, and my sister was six months old. Between the ages of five and 11, I was bullied, sexually abused, became addicted to pornography, and began acting out with boys and girls sexually. I began drinking at 12, by 14 I was smoking marijuana and drinking often until I blacked out. Through my teens, I was convinced that I was never good enough, regardless of how anyone else saw me, and it was easy for me to encourage everybody around me, but it was impossible to see anything good in me. Fear of success and feeling worthless consumed me as my own chains of guilt and shame kept me prisoner. I continued to find codependent and abusive relationships and began using harder drugs by the time I was 19. I was in complete denial and stuck in my brokenness despite the efforts of friends, families, teachers, and counselors. Over the next 10 years, I created a pattern of abandonment and promiscuity that left one dysfunctional relationship for another Believing every time the next one is going to be different. Brent and I began dating in 1999, and we were married on a Harley in Vegas in 2002. Our unholy relationship while dating bred fear and resentment into our marriage. Infidelity, restraining orders, and a constant whirlwind of drama followed us wherever we went. The ripple effect was devastating, especially to our children. We moved 11 times in 10 years just trying to escape the dysfunction, but it only got worse. Despite Brent's objections, I filed for a divorce. In early October 2011, we went our separate ways. Almost three months later, a conviction like I had never known before came over me, and on December 28th of 2011, I decided to quit drinking for the first time in my whole life. Within one week, something amazing happened. At the lowest point in my whole life, I cried out to God, How could anyone ever be able to love me unconditionally if they knew everything that I had done? And the Lord answered, called Brent. Of course, I argued. (laughs) I hadn't talked to him in three months, and I realized that Brent did know everything about me. He did love me unconditionally. And that night, he spent three hours telling me about Celebrate Recovery here at Overlake and how it was changing his life since the divorce. January 10th, 2012, I walked into OCC and my life changed forever. I proclaimed to God in complete surrender that I would do anything to change my life, to be a better mother, to be a better person. Surrendering my will to Christ's care and control was the scariest and most freeing thing I have ever done. The first week at CR, I joined a 12 step group to start working through all my hurts, habits, and hang ups. Codependency, abuse, alcoholism, sexual integrity, fear, perfectionism, many more. And I kept coming back every Tuesday night. Two months later, March 4, 2012, Brent and I were baptized right here on this stage. And then four months later, we were dating. March 26, 2013, a year and three months into recovery, Brent and I were remarried in the chapel here at Overlake. And we nailed our divorce papers to the cross with the help of our 10-year-old son. The past three years of my life have been the most incredible times of my life as God has used me for his glory time and time again. I was led to start and lead the CR Women's Sexual Integrity Group here at Overlake in January of 2013. And every week I witness women just like me coming in to finally believe that they are a daughter of the King, as God intended. And being a part of the Overlake CR worship team here since April of 2013 is a great honor this past September to be asked to also join the Timberlake Celebrate Recovery worship team and also help grow their ministry there at Timberlake Church. In January 11th of 2015, the day after my third year anniversary coming in to celebrate recovery, I kicked off my third step group. And that following week, I taught the CR big group for the very first time in my life. That was 1,100 days of recovery in a row that got me to that place in my life. And now, exactly three weeks after my third year anniversary, I'm sharing my story with you. There's no coincidences. God had everything planned from the very beginning. He's doing a work in me and through me that I could never do myself, and I am no different than any one of you. I share these things not to boast of my accomplishments, to be, to be a lighthouse for his glory and his grace, because without him, I am nothing. His calling on my life is not about where I go to church or what CR I attend. It's about becoming the person that he had called me to be, the one he created me to be, And where he leads me, I go with open arms and blind faith. It's about who I am in him and how he uses all the hurts in my story every day to bless others and restore me at the same time. I know that Jesus loves me. He always has and he always will. God is not done with me yet. He's only getting started. Thanks for letting me share.
0: Mindy, I'm not sure if you wanted to give me your earrings or not, but I'll just go ahead and give this back to you. Oh shoot! Thank you, Mindy. What I wanted you to see was that Jesus is writing this beautiful redemption story, and just like he did with Matthew, he did that with with Mindy, and there was, there was a story exchange that happened. And he invited her to come and to attach her story to his, and it's just it's beautiful. And, And we've all been encouraged by that. And so the question that I sort of want to end our time together on is that question. It's the question of what is the better story that Jesus is inviting you into? Now, friends, at Overlake, our family is just, we, we see God's redemptive hand at work in so many places of our church. When you're a part of Overlake, you're a part of a church family that takes seriously fighting human trafficking, that takes seriously orphan care, that take seriously the idea of reducing stigma and fighting for justice, issues of justice. These are things that are just a part of what we do. These are part of the story that we believe God's telling with us as a church body. But the question is, how can you get involved in that? How can you say, you know, I don't want to just be content to be associated with a church like that. I want to be a part of the story-making process. I want my story, when people look at my story, I want them to see the redemptive story that Jesus is telling. And so I just, I I want you to understand that when we attach our story to him, that there is no limit to the adventure, the purpose, and the love that he invites us into. That there there are literally an infinite number of ways, That you can live your story out with Jesus and for his glory. But the challenge I want to leave you with this morning is don't make it boring. Make your story extraordinary. Make your story extraordinary. Why don't you bow your heads and close your eyes? Lord, I know that in this room there are students who are in sixth grade. And there are folks who are in their 90s. And I know that the invitation that you offer today is for both of them and for every one of us. We have been living a story. We ask, from this moment on, that you would allow us to attach our story to yours. that that we would understand that you are the great protagonist in the great redemption story that's unfolding and that involves all of history and all of the universe and all in reconciliation to God our Father. And we ask, Lord Jesus, that you would allow us as the protagonist, the lead character in our own small stories, that we would come and we would trade the story thus far for a new story with you. We ask that you would show us what it looks like. What, what is it that you're inviting us into? How do you want us to interact on our campuses or our workplaces? How do you want us to bless our city and, and to care for our parish? How is it, Lord Jesus, that you want the story of our lives to be written? Because each and every one of us, Lord, want to advance in such a way that we reach that pinnacle moment And hear your words, well done, good and faithful servant. We love you, Lord Jesus. Thank you for speaking to our hearts today. Thanks for gracing us again and again and again. We'd be nowhere without it. We pray all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior. Amen.